This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Sucker Sub. Go listen. I'm Banter. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Now pay me. Pay me in cash, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending the Soccer Subs Podcast, the number one podcast covering soccer in New York City and all over the world. Let's give it up for Ronnie. Let's give it up for Christian. And let's give it up for you, the Soccer yeah. Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 18. My name is Ronnie. I'm your host. I'm joined here by my two Soccer Subs co-hosts, Christian Hugh, and our new official fourth member. His name is Eric from Harlem. Fellas, how you guys doing? Quick intros, episode 18. And you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. Episode 18, the number of Andres Guardado. Dirt Kite and Paul Scolsi and Messi when he played with Argentina. Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Thank you guys for joining us. Now that's that's got to be the highest budget intro we've ever had. <laughs> I mean, come on. Someone's got to be paying you a lot of money to do that, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I'm I'm very happy to be here. I'm looking forward to talking soccer, especially since I missed last week's recording. And if you're listening, you should know that because you should all know my voice. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to be back and, and get to shed some light on maybe some disputed topics that I think I can provide a little bit of clarity to <laughs> Christian. Uh, fans <laughs> miss you, by the way. I, I do have to say that. <laughs> Oh, man. Besides that, um, you know, I'm glad to be back, you know, episode 18, and I'm definitely happy to be an official member now. Oh, man. As the weather gets warmer, when the weather gets warmer, you know soccer's getting better. You know, there's more, there's better <laughs> games coming in, but definitely happy to be back. Definitely glad to have you on with us, Eric. It was about time, by the way. If not, we're going to have to start paying you but uh <laughs> yeah fellas and soccer fans we have a, a big show for you guys coming up today we have a big guest joining us in a little bit uh he was the first ever player to sign for the mls he's played for the new york metro stars that's a throwback and clubs such as real betis and tigres from mexico no big deal he's just the head coach of the houston dynamo we got the one and only mr Tab ramos joining us a little later we're super excited for that and yeah, fellas, I mean, since we last recorded, we got some Champions League action to get into. A lot of good games that happened this past week. We obviously had PSG beating Barca 4-1 at the Camp No, no Neymar. Coincidence that he got injured for his sister's birthday again? We'll see. <laughs> we had Real Madrid beating Atalanta barely in Bergamo in Italy, 1-0. Bayern Munich cruising through Lazio 4-1 at the Stadio Olimpico. We knew uh, that was going to happen. <laughs> Porto beating Juve 2-1 in, in Portugal. Dortmund beating Sevilla 3-2 in Sevilla, our boy Holland shining all over again. Chelsea beating Atletico Madrid. Simeone's boys 1-0 with that crazy bicycle kick with Giroud. Crazy goal. That was a stunner right there. And Man City beating uh, Mönchengladbach 2-0 at the Puskas Arena. So, all right, fellas, we got some Champions League action to get into. My question for you guys today is, what was the one or two games that stood out to you from Champions League action? We got to give the honors to our new co-host, Eric. Eric, I'll start that one off with you, man. What was one game that, or one or two games that stood out to you from Champions League action? Well, I mean, first First and foremost, it definitely had to be the Juventus-Porto game, you know. Shocking. Actually, no. At this point, 
Juventus is a very, uh, I mean, honestly, they're a wild card. You you never know what to expect. And if I'm being honest, this game reminded me a lot of Madrid Ajax last season. When everybody saw that um, matchup, they're like, oh, Real Madrid is winning that game. No, without a doubt. Now this Porto Juve, I'm pretty sure everyone thought uh, Juve is just going to, you know, destroy them flat out, win both legs. That's not the case this time. I At this point, I think as controversial as this is, I think Juventus is not a team. I think they're a team composed as individuals rather than a whole team as a, you know, as a whole. They rely too much on individual brilliance, whether it be from Ronaldo, whether it be from, you know, a, a once in a while, once in a blue moon performance from Chiesa where he just scores amazing goals. You know, that loss, it's unacceptable. You know, I believe they let... You know, two goals scored so fast within the first and second half. It's just like at this point, if you're a Juventus supporter, you know, how much more are you going to take of this? Like Pirlo just he seems out of his element. He seems lost when sounds I never want to bet against Ronaldo in Champions League. So the last thing I want to do is bet against him this time. I am fully expecting either whether it be a brace, whether it be a hat trick, the second leg. I fully expect them to get through the through the tie. But again, uh, just seeing this Juventus side play, it's very frustrating. And honestly, as surprising as it was, I can't say I was surprised that Porto came out on top the first the first leg. Talking talking about good goals from Chiesa, that goal from Chiesa to to pull them back on on the on the tower, that was a pretty good finish. So they actually might have. I, I think they might have a chance to come back. I know. I, I know that you said a lot of stuff that is true about Juventus. I think Ronaldo just happened to just come out to the white side of the field and and just trying to penetrate balls, and that was it. He wasn't doing much, and and the attacking looked looked very weak. So I I do agree on that. But uh, Juventus, man. I mean, I don't know the quality of players with a you know, with a, with a goal back, you can go through. So I don't know. I think that goal at the end does help them have some, uh, something to be motivated about on the second leg. Hugh, which one was your game to watch that you uh, stood out to you from this past week? Well, it was probably today's Madrid Atalanta because it's the one game that I made myself actually like really try to pick apart. Cause obviously I'm a Madrid fan. And so I have <laughs> some responsibility to be able to at least counter the Spanish press as to why they think my team is awful. But look, I think, do I agree with how Zidane set up the team? No, I don't think it was a good idea to set up three forwards, none of which are good at being a striker. We played Asensio, Vinicius, and Isco, all of whom like to either play out on the wing and love playing with the ball at their feet, but are not good at getting like that last touch on the ball. Right. And I mean, like Vinicius had an amazing game, like a really, really good game. And I think it was one of those games where I remembered why I like him as a player instead of why I don't like his, him as a player. And, you know, like, look, he could have done more, but he had a good game. And obviously, same side, Ferdinand Mendy had a good game, but I'll get to that later. Uh, but I think it, it was just not a smart idea to play three forwards, none of whom are like built to play that. I think had Zidane played instead of Isco, had he even played Mariano up top and then played Vinicius and, and uh, Asensio out on the wings, that might have worked. But I don't know. I just I just did not agree. But I, I am glad that a couple of youngsters did uh, get a chance to get out. Um, Arribas and then Hugo Duro, both guys who... Again, probably fly a little bit low under the radar. And unfortunately, because they aren't like, you know, breakout players like some other young talents, they maybe don't get recognized that much, but they're, they're decent players. Okay, but then let's, let's get to the important part of the game, 
Um, so I, I know a lot of people are going to take issue with the refereeing and be like, eh, it wasn't a red card. I'm going to outline very clearly why it was a red. So it's not that the contact was particularly difficult the, the, or like the, the, the contact was particularly difficult to deal with by Mendy because the contact was a normal free kick contact. The problem was there was no one between Mendy and the goal. So technically he was in on goal and was clattered by a defender, meaning that the referee has to give a red card. Now, some referees won't give a red card there, but technically you're supposed to. And the referee sort of followed that rule. Now, the rest of the game was like, oh, fine, officiated. But you got to say it's kind of embarrassing to for, for Atalanta to play with 10 men for the entire game, absorb all of Real Madrid's possession play pressure, and then to have Ferland Mendy, who's like the most left-footed player on the pitch, slap a ball with his right foot and curl it past the goalkeeper, that's got to be a little embarrassing. And so I think I'm glad that Ferland Mendy has been putting his work in on the training round, but if any of you, like, <laughs> I please, I beg you, do not watch that shot in slow motion because it is like, it is like watching me try to use my left foot and, and like, that's not an exaggeration. He's off balance. He hits the ball weirdly. His whole body shape is wrong. Like he is not used to shooting with his right foot. He's not and, his natural foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and he, he, I mean, like, I hate to say this. He got a little lucky on the shot there. Like he hit it really nice. And the curve bend, like if that was, if that was hit with proper form, I'd be like, you know, top player, but you got a little bit lucky. But at the end of the day, I think, I think we deserved the win because of the fact that like that that trick play in and of itself because it came out of a corner uh was was like deserving of a goal but man we had like 60 minutes with against 10 men and we couldn't get a single ball into the six yard box without it being swallowed up by center backs come on like it's it's not like you didn't have a chance though i think vinicius had an open look on goal and he completely rocketed and, and those are the things that you mentioned, like, who else am I going to put? But who else do you have? Everyone's injured. <laughs> and yeah. Benzema is the only one that you can rely on, and he's injured. And that's why you guys should have spent more money on buying a forward. Uh, I don't that's know. That's why we shouldn't have gotten rid of Luka Jovic, which, like, mm. still bothers me to this day. But, but uh, going back, I mean, uh, I think Real Madrid did what they could with what they have. But to me, that was still the soft red card. I don't know, Hugh. I know that you want to debate it, but there was still somebody on that line well, who wasn't the last man. According <laughs> to the FIFA uh, like official rule book. <laughs> <laughs> bring it, bring it. Bring oh, well, no, I have to find the FIFA official rule book. <laughs> no, no, but, but to be honest, I, I do think that he was closer to go. I mean, it's arguable. But uh, that changed the whole game plan for Atalanta. And I think you saw the frustration and, and kind of like Gasparini didn't know what else to do uh, with a team. That's why they had zero shots on target. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's also because they pulled off Dufan Zapata like as quick Injury as they could. Too. Yeah. Well, tough, he, tough. he, I mean, he got injured, but they were going to pull Muriel off before they pulled off Zapata. And then there was that weird thing where they subbed on Ilicic and then subbed him back off. Totally. I didn't I didn't get that. Like I, I mean like I understand maybe he was hurt, but like I don't know. That just seems like that just seems kind of mean. Like to sub him on and then sub him off. Like I don't know. And then the goal comes a few minutes after that. <laughs> I know, right? I'd be mad. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like the game plan was was completely a, a complete disaster after that red card. So um, I mean, you know, okay. 
for the Madrid fans out there, I am still a Real Madrid fan. But I, I look, I strongly believe that, okay, Madrid deserved to win, but they got very lucky that, you know, that red card was given. It was a, it was a red card. Do not get me wrong. That was definitely a clear red card. But they got very lucky that that happened in the first place. Had it been a full 11 versus 11, you know, matchup, I think the game would have been a lot different. You're depriving Atalanta from, you know, one of their strikers. You know, if I'm not mistaken, Atalanta have a top five, you know, attacking force in all of Europe. You know, missing out on a player like Duvan Zapata definitely hindered their attacking potential. Against the uh, Real Madrid team without having Sergio Ramos, I think that would have been a problem. At the end of the day, though, you know, I'm with an away goal, with a victory, and we played with no striker. So it's yeah. just like, you know, <laughs> although, it's although, a win-win. Not to, not, to, not to, like, take away from the fact that Sergio Ramos is, like, really important. Nacho Fernandez had one of the best games I've seen him play yeah. in a while. Like, there was one tackle he made where I was like, wow, you know, like, maybe <laughs> maybe we don't need this other guy. And then I remembered maybe we do. But it was it was nice to think for a while that, that, that Nacho Fernandez was having a really good game. Christian, what was your what was the game that stood out to you from this week? I mean, uh, like you said, there was a score with the uh, Porto Juve that was very surprising to me, at least. Uh, but uh, I gotta say, now everybody's raving about Haaland and Mbappe, right? Both both players are phenomenal, and I, I like the Sevilla Dortmund game. Not much from Sevilla because I was disappointed. They were very slow uh, movements but with they the ball. Only lost by a goal. They they recover, but they they played very slow. Very uh, to be honest, I think that's their style of play. But the players were not precise on the ball. Uh, I think they were waiting too much for Dortmund to open up, and that's what they used to counter them. And then Haaland, who's been impressive, involved in all three goals from the first one, his ability to move in space, to be a receptor of the ball and find other teammates. And when he's in the attack, uh, I mean, you saw the plays on this, uh, the play on the second goal with Royce being able to conduct the ball through the middle. He immediately turns to the side to find that open uh, shot. And, and he's just phenomenal. I think uh, Jesse March said it once when he was talking to Bob Bradley uh, uh, in regards to coaching in, in uh, coaching Haaland when he was in Salzburg. And he said that early in Haaland, will stay up late in the locker room or wherever they had the the, the studio to watch uh, to watch tape in order to improve his playing style and he he's a machine i think he's someone to 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 consider for in the future so sad that manchester united uh, decided to not pull the trigger on that one uh but mbappe and Haaland definitely passing uh uh cristiano ronaldo and messi especially at the way they're looking now so um i was very excited to watch that game i do think sevilla came up uh, with a little bit more effort on the second half at least the last 20 minutes it's going to be very interesting to see what they're going to do in Germany. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Sevilla might, like you said, Hugh, it's only by one goal. If they can score two, which they definitely can, uh, and Dortmund's defense is also not so reliable, if they're able to move a little bit faster, find the Jong or play the Jong, and can we play Ocampo too? Like, uh, I don't know why mm-hmm. he's not playing. <laughs> I think also, like, Sevilla's, def- Sevilla's defense isn't to be laughed at. Like, Jules Kunde and Diego Carlos are both very, very good center backs. And I think the problem with them is they're both pretty young. And coming up against, like, a Dortmund attack for the first time, I think they got caught off guard. I do not think they'll get caught off guard when they're in Germany. Like, I think they'll they'll be used to it. They'll play that second half football. 
which I think will be really good for them. Also, Christian, just to add on to your point about Holland, I think he would have he would have made Real Madrid win the game tonight, even, <laughs> even if he didn't get a single touch on the ball. And the reason is the I think the most important part of his game for for me at least is the space he takes up off the ball because the center backs are always having to track him because of his speed. And so when you have an out and out striker who's pulling the center backs into the middle of the field, that's exactly for me what created that first goal because Dahoud like had that whole like slot back where he was able to bend the ball because the center backs weren't pressing up. They were watching Holland and Holland was holding that middle center there. And I think that's what allows him to be so dangerous off the ball and allows that sort of free flowing Jude Bellingham, Jaden Sancho, Marco Royce midfield to like spread the ball and then swing it back in and have him finish it. He's the main focus. That's a great point. And uh, in regards to the defenders, I think that's also a great point because in the second half, now they were staying a little bit closer to Haaland. So they did fix that on the second half. And I think the, the second leg is going to be an interesting one. Um, and lastly, I think uh, props to Liverpool, just very briefly. I mean, the fact that uh, that they're playing with Henderson as their leader uh, in their centre-back position and going in Germany, well, not in Germany, they actually play uh, I think in Budapest, you know, go, <laughs> which is strange to me still. But going in and, and playing with such a high tempo, the, the way they were manipulating uh, uh, plays, and I think, uh, you know, it's, you're so used to seeing Leipzig uh, press so high, but you can't do that when you have players like Mane or, or Salah who are who are great with long balls. So if you stay two, two you push two up, you know, you're going to get countered. And I think two, two mistakes, I don't know if it was pressure, maybe just a bad day. Uh, led to two goals uh, to Liverpool, and they look pretty good on on, on continuing the ne to the next round. As for me, fellas, I can't believe we've gone this long without even mentioning the Barca PSG game. That game was <laughs> insane. Barca is crumbling to me in my eyes right now. Mbappe had himself a game, a hat trick. Also, Moise Keane had himself a goal as well as a crazy header. To me, this game had a little bit of everything. You know, it had it had excitement. It had. It had that star quality there, even though, you know, I think we had talked about in the last episode, there was no Neymar. But, you know, I think everyone from PSG really showed up. Keylor Navas on goal was amazing. Mbappe, Icardi, Verratti was distributing. He was just stellar performance on that as well. Great game, One thing that I loved about this game, and, I, and you know, I think we saw it right after the game, is, I, you know, I, I live all for the drama. So, you know, can we talk up a little bit about that PK and uh, Antoine Griezmann drama, you know, where <laughs> PK is yelling at him like, hey, man, we're suffering over here. We've been suffering for five minutes. That had me all hyped up as well. I mean, I don't know, man. It really raises a good question. Could we have possibly seen Messi's last game, Champions League game in Barcelona? I know they got the next leg in Paris, but that game was just crazy, man. And I think, you know, Mbappe really, again, showing the star that he is. You know, I think the, the Barca's back four, Sergino Das, Pique, Christian's favorite, Lenglet, uh, Jordi Alba. <laughs> I mean, man, they had a hard time in this game. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to write Barca off so soon, but they're going to have a hard time in Paris. And it really just brings up so many questions. What's going to happen again at the end of the season? What, you know, how, how are Barca going to fix, fix things? Uh, we brought this up again in the past. Can Ronald Koeman again lead this team? What, what adjustments can they make? Um, I don't know if the locker room 
is just too divided or, you know, they just have their issues that we're not, you know, that we're not seeing as fans as well. That game had everything, man. And, you know, I really do feel for Barca just because I think they could have put up a better game or I'm not sure if, if PSG was just too much of a stellar performance, but PSG was just on their A game. And it, to me, it was amazing to watch. So that was my one game. And my other game that I wanted to mention, which is not too much of a, uh, a surprise, is, is Bayern Lazio. Again, Bayern. 4-1 beating Lazio and Lazio is not a scrub team and you know Bayern I think beating them 4-1 in Italy as well showing probably showing that they're clear favorites again to win the Champions League just finished talking about PSG you know I'd love to see a rematch I would love to see that rematch again Barca PSG that brings up other questions as well but you know in regards to to matchups I think Bayern was just way too much for Lazio I'd love to see a Man City versus Bayern in the next stage as well so far the, the Champions League stages have been great. Hugh, I know you wanted to talk really quick on uh, Man City, uh, Manchin Gladbach. Yeah, well, sorry, Ronnie. I know you said you don't want to write off Barca, but here I'll pass you the pen because you <laughs> might as well start. But City Gladbach, I'll go over really quickly. I am a little bit annoyed because I thought Gladbach was going to do a little bit better. I mean, they're a really good team. And look, like, yes, a 2-0 scoreline doesn't look good for them, but you watch the game and you see Gladbach actually like had a couple of chances and they weren't far off i mean they were they were like outplayed but they weren't far off i mean each city also had a bunch of chances that they like left begging but that's neither here nor there look both teams played pretty well i mean like city played city football pep guardiola's jacket was kind of weird though it had the manchester city logo <laughs> on the back the i don't brand, know that was like, uh, too you know, huge you, yeah, I know. Usually, usually I'll like talk about positioning analysis, but but let's talk about this jacket because I did not like the jacket. All right. I like branded stuff, not on managers. If you're a manager, you got to wear something classy, not branded with the team's logo, unless it's a puffer jacket, then it's okay. Right. Um, okay. Now moving on from that. Um, no, I mean, Bernardo Silva scoring a header. That's kind of funny. Um, Gabriel Jesus scoring a goal. That's I'm not going to say that's kind of funny because that's mean Um, because he's, he's been, he's been a real, he's had like a really good uptick in finishes. Like, and I think people are like, I think, I think in the past people sort of poked at, at Gabriel Jesus and was like, you know, this like striker who is kind of overrated and, and can't finish. And I think now he is coming into his light a little bit. And I think they've done that in the league as well, but, but city city are just like good. And I eat my words from what I said a couple months ago saying that city couldn't win anything. <laughs> yeah. They're going to win something this year. Um, they're probably going to win multiple things. I, I think they're going to win at least the Premier league, if not the champions league. But then again, I wouldn't write anyone off in the champions league, especially, especially not PSG, but, but definitely Barca actually. So I would write one team off in the champions league. Eric, what was that second game that you wanted to talk about? Atletico Madrid, Chelsea. I, I said it last episode. I said it last episode and I, I said it for um, La Liga, but it definitely carries on to every other game that they play. Atletico Madrid's worst opponent themselves. And it clearly showed this game against Chelsea. Their worst opponent is themselves. What happened? Simeone always does this in the big games. He it's against. He always does it against Madrid. For some reason, he's always doing this in UCL. He plays very defense. Okay, okay, that's his style, defensive football. <laughs> but he plays very scared. He's afraid to attack. You know, I I think of all these defensive teams. I, I think of Mourinho's prime, um, you know, teams at Chelsea and um, Inter Milan. Those teams were known to be defensive, but when it was time to attack, Mourinho was not afraid to attack. That's what that was very different against Chelsea. At one point of him having six players in the back, okay, that's perfect if you're defending a, an aggregate score of 2-0 and you're already up. No, you're you're at home and you are still tying. If you're um, you know, if you have any ambition of moving forward into the Champions League, 
you know, send your players forward. You know, I'm pretty sure at this point he has players who are willing to die for the badge. You know, I can clearly say by their style of play, they're they're willing to die. For, you know, not so defensive all the time. You know, it's definitely hindered their chances. Now, I still believe we're gonna have an upset just like last year. You know, they lost against Liverpool, but we all know what happened there. I think the miracle is gonna happen, and Atletico Madrid are definitely gonna make a comeback. However, you know. One thing I want to add, that Oliver Giroud goal, and that was something. Unbelievable. 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 He's always scoring those type of goals. It's just amazing. I, I, you know, I think he's an underrated striker. Definitely. I don't know. I think I could have done that. (laughs) (laughs) The the fact that he was asking for the ball and then he notices that it's going to bounce up, he immediately gets ready to uh, hit that bicycle kick. That was, that was very, Bro, very impressive. He's got to have some nerve to try that against Oblak. Like, Oblak, I'm sorry. Yeah. If, you're, if you're pulling a bicycle kick against, like, you know, some two-bit keeper from, like, a, a Europa League team, okay, fine. You know, you're rubbing salt in the wound. But this guy's, like, possibly the best keeper in the world. And you're like, you know what? I'm just going to flick it up. Like, why not? Because I mean, like Joao Felix actually tried it earlier in the game. Ah, uh, that's true. He and 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 he actually got arguably better contact on it than Giroud did. But Giroud was just like, ah, I've done this before, and he just calmly put it away. I was in slow motion. Here. It looks so beautiful too because he stretches also, out. <laughs> yeah, but but Thomas Thomas Tuchel Thomas Tuchel is like Frank Lampard. If you cut all cut away the bad bits and like put the <laughs> weird bits of Frank Lampard, like he has this obsession with Mason Mount the same way that Frank Lampard did, but at least he's playing Timo Werner. Although he's not playing Havertz or Ziyech, which is like, mm. he's going to have to, because Mount is not going to be in the next, uh, uh, for the next game. Yeah. Well, but I think Ziyech already wants to leave, but that's the subject for our next episode. Look, adding to what you said, Hugh, you know, you're definitely right. I think the problem with Lampard is, he was a good player coach. However, his tactics were often, you know, questioned because he he played always these long balls. He he's always running down the line or to crosses. He never really switched up his tactics. Tuko, on the other hand, he's a great player coach. He's a great tactician. And um, you know, I talk a lot of smack to Christian about Tuko, but in the end of the day, <laughs> um, you know, I think it might work out. I still I look, you know what? I still want to see what they do against Liverpool or a City or a Bayern team. When I see how they do against those teams, then I, I I might give some might give them some praise. Yeah, I like the I like what you said because I actually thought that wasn't a great game for Chelsea. There were a lot of passes that weren't combining very well, and at times Atletico looked far more dangerous in their two three times that they got closer to goal. So, like you said, I think they did a mistake dropping back so uh, so often against Chelsea, especially you're at home. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I think. Uh, Without without Mount, they're gonna to have to find a way to connect and, and get more combination play because I even think you know Jorginho is one of my favorite players and he wasn't having a good game that day either. So let's see what they can do in full potential and they're playing uh, Man United uh, this weekend, so it's gonna be a good game to watch as well. All right, fellas. Well, we got to get into our interview with the one and only Mr. Todd Ramos, the head coach for the Houston Dynamo. He's also played for the New York Metro Stars throwback team uh real betis tigres from mexico we're really excited to pick his brain we're going to be talking houston dynamo upcoming season we're super hyped for the upcoming mls uh, 2021 season starting in a few weeks actually um you know we're almost a month away from the mls season starting in april so we're super hyped about that but all right fellas mr top ramos coming up ahead let's go 
All right, soccer fans, we have a big guest joining the show today. He is a former soccer player with an impressive 13-year playing career for clubs such as Real Betis, Tigres, the Metro Stars, and the USMNT. Fun fact, he was the first ever player to sign with the Major League Soccer in 1995. He is also part of the National Soccer Hall of Fame, elected in 2005. He is the current head coach of the Houston Dynamo. It is a true pleasure to have him on the show. Let's please give a warm welcome to Mr. Todd Ramos. Thank you so much for being on with us, Mr. Ramos. Such a pleasure. And thank you so much for hopping on with us. I know there's been some connection issues on your end, but we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. First things first, we have to ask you, how are you? How's your offseason been? We know New Jersey has a special place in your heart growing up in uh, Harrison and Kearney as a little kid. So we really appreciate you taking time for two neighbors of yours. How's your offseason been and how have you been? Yeah, it's been good. You know, I got a chance. Uh, I got a chance to go back to New Jersey for a few weeks in in December. But uh, you know, I got back here to Houston first week of January, and we're just here preparing. You know, preparing the season. You know, we've made some trades, we've acquired some players, we've let go some players. So a lot of you know a lot of stuff going on. Mr. Ramos, just to get into it, one of our first questions, and you know, we've seen so many videos, so many articles, interviews online. We saw so much of your playing career, your coaching career. One thing we didn't see too much of, and we wanted to ask you. We know your dad was a former professional player as well from Uruguay. How influential was he in making you love the game of soccer? And what were your earliest memories? Yeah, I mean, I think my memories are a little different than I think most people would be with their dads, you know, because we'd all like to, you know, whenever I hear stories about, you know, people whose dads were influential and my dad was very influential in my in my career, but he was he was highly demanding. I mean, it was not the, oh, you know, if you could, you know, if you could work on this or if you could do that. My dad was just basically, you know, I rarely ever played a good game according to my dad. You know, I would come off the field and he'd be like, ah, you didn't do this. You got to do more of that. You got, you know, every single time, always, you know, and it was, uh, he was demanding, you know, um, I, I think I just got used to it. I, I, you know, I didn't know that wasn't the right thing until after, you know, now when I speak with players now and I see that sometimes their relationship with people who were more mentors to them were were much different you know than mine mine was a very highly demanding you know sort of win only score goals get assists every time you know kind of dad that's that's how he was wow that's amazing and yeah we could definitely relate i know a lot of parents can be hard especially for the passion of soccer so we could totally understand mr ramos i think my first other question we had for you and this is such a crazy stat you were the first ever player to sign for the mls looking back at it now you signed back in 1995 uh looking back to it now could you have ever imagined the growth of the sport and of the league one quick thing we did speak to marcelo balboa he was on our show and he told us a quick story that when the mls first started when he signed they told him look we only have money for the first three years after that we don't know what's going to happen so obviously now the mls has grown and obviously we see players selling for millions of dollars but could you have seen the growth of the of the league uh no no uh i, I didn't know the story from marcelo about the three years i thought there was just money for one year but <laughs> Uh, good that they had more than one year on the plans. No, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm obviously I'm the, I'm the coach at the Houston Dynamo. I walk into our facility every day and it's a great place to work. You know, we have our own field. We have, we have everything the players need here. You know, it's a beautiful place to come to work every day. And yet we're like middle to bottom of the table in terms of like where we sit according, you know, when you compare our facilities and our club to some of the other clubs in the league. So, you know, I could have never, I could have never imagined that any MLS club would have 
the type of facilities that we have here at the Houston Dynamo, not just our training facilities, but our stadium. We have a beautiful stadium. And no, the, to me, this is like something that I, I would have hoped uh, could have happened. That's why I committed to the league. You know, I was playing for Tigres at the time, so it was not easy to, you know, you know, it was not easy to make that commitment. But I think that, uh, you know, it's it's amazing how far the league's come along. It really is. 100%. And Mr. Ramos, I'm so glad you mentioned Tigres because that was actually a follow-up question of mine. And this is also a crazy stat, you know, that the MLS was actually supposed to start back in 95, but obviously it started in 1996. And due to that, they had to loan out players and they loaned you out to Tigres. How did that affect you at all, if, if at all, mentally, physically, uh, or did you see it as just a good opportunity? So I, I, was, uh, I was at Betty's at the time and I was in the middle of a four-year contract, but I had just gotten in- injured in the World Cup that year. And so I had been out with Betsy's for four or five months with with a head injury. And so, you know, Betsy, we were in first division at the time. We were at La Liga and the coach basically said, I, you know, the team was doing well. So by December 1994, Betsy's was probably in the top three or four in La Liga. And and I wasn't playing, obviously, because I was injured. I was out of the roster at the time. So I asked the coach what the possibilities were for me to be playing coming into the second half of that of the league that year. And obviously we were what at the time was a UEFA spot. So we were in a UEFA spot, which is really important to the club. And the coach said, hey, you know, you never know. You may because we brought somebody in your position. Uh, his name was Stosage, uh, and he was doing really well. So I, I really kind of saw my path at Betsy's kind of stopped. And I thought that I wasn't going to be playing second half of the season. So I was looking for options. I had an option to go to Switzerland at the time. I think it was Grasshoppers was the team that I was going to go to. And then Tigris came along uh, with an offer uh, for me to go there. And then I decided, hey, you know what? I'd, I'd rather go to Tigris only because, you know, I'd be away. I had been in Spain for almost five years already. And I thought maybe it's a way to come closer to home. Uh, the Mexican League always intrigued me because I, you know, I grew up in the U.S. So it was always Mexican League games on. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to go that way. And then MLS sort of got in touch with me and said, hey, we hear this is happening. Is there any way we can get in the way of that so that we can secure you for after? So that's That's kind of how it happened. It wasn't. So I was a Betis player going to Tigris. MLS got in the way of the deal and sort of became the middle man in the operation. They became the owners of my past and loaned me to Tigris instead of me going to Tigris and then them trying to acquire me from Tigris. They acquired me from Betis and loaned me to Tigris. That's kind of how it worked, but the deal was already on its way. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much for yeah, g- giving us some extra context yeah. there and definitely clearing it up. And one of my last questions um, from my end before Christian comes in, uh, Mr. Ramos, obviously, you know, you, you've been such a great coach. And one thing we wanted to ask you is, did you always know you wanted to take the path of being a coach after you retired from playing, especially, you know, being an assistant for the USMNT? And what were some of the things you learned coaching some amazing talent for the USMNT? Yeah, I mean, during my playing career, I never had a thought that I would ever be a coach. I'll be honest. I never really had the inclination to do it, nor the desire to be a coach, because I always saw the coaches have so much stuff to do, you know? (laughs) <laughs> being a player is so easy. So I retired. And then it was only after I retired that I decided that I really couldn't be away from the game. And I ran into Xavier Escargorta, a great foreign coach from Spain, actually, who had coached Bilbao and Valencia before. And so I had known him from Spain. And I ran into him and said, hey, coach, you know, I, I ran into him. To, and, and we were in a, some kind of Adidas ESP session or something. And he said, what are you doing here? And, you know, this was up in like Connecticut or something. And I said, well, I think I want to be a coach. And he goes, well, if you want to be a coach, you got to start 
you know, you just retired from playing, which means you know nothing about the game. So you got to go back to start teaching it from the youngest age group and really learn how to teach the game. And then you can you can move forward. And so I don't want to get into the whole story, but I slowly started, you know, teaching the game from seven year olds all the way up. And I coach, I did my full coaching. You know, I coach, you know, U10s all the way through U18s, one year at least of each age group. So I did all the age groups. I did all the tournaments in the country, you know, from Dallas Cup to President's Cup in Phoenix to, you know, tournaments in Virginia. Like I did all of that, you know, and and then I got into the youth national team as an assistant and then as a head coach and then the senior national team as an assistant. And then and now I'm here. So it's been it's been a long 18 year pathway for me to get here to Houston. But I really consider myself now more a coach than I was ever a player. Uh, and I really enjoy that. I really love coaching and I and I learned a lot. We're so glad you took that route, by the way. Go ahead, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, uh, well, first of all, thank you so much, Mr. Ramos, for being here today. W- one of the questions that I had is uh, regarding youth development. Uh, before I delve into uh, Houston Dynamo, I read an article recently where uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer talked about youth development and Juan Bisaka. And he's saying, he said, he's 23 and he he said he still got two more years to reach his potential. How it worked in youth development, I wanted to ask you, is there a way you can expedite that process and help the player reach uh, the potential he has uh, in a faster way? And how would you do it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think every everyone has sort of their own opinion on youth development. I know there's a lot of experts out there. I'm, I'm not sure how, how long Ola spent on youth soccer. I don't know if he spent a full, you know, however many years. A lot of players that are coaching top teams now didn't actually coach youth players. They went directly to coaching professional players. So people have different opinions. For me, of course, you can have an impact. At the end of the day, the players that make it are, I think for me, they're not the most skillful players. They're the players that have the strongest mentality to be a professional player. Of course, they have to be good athletes. Of course, they have to have certain requirements of technical ability in order to survive in the in the professional game. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's it's, it's mental, you know, it's mental. If you can, if you're mentally strong enough, you're going to be able to do the things physically that are required of the game. And then, and then the technical part becomes like the third level of what you need. Um, There's plenty of professional players who, who are very limited, technically very limited. Uh, And you could, you know, but can you have an effect? Your question was, can you have an effect younger than, you know, Ola saying 23, you know, potentially 25, that could be, that could be because, you know, that's the, that's, that would, I, I would guess a player could be at their prime at 25, right? That if that's what he means, then I understand that. Uh, can you have an effect on younger players? Of course you can. And, and the best way to do it is by putting them in the right environment uh, and having them around the ball a lot. You know, sometimes now, you know, MLS teams are spending tons of money on youth development, which is, you know, it's starting to pay off, but it's not necessarily all about so much of the teaching. It's sometimes just having the players being in the environment to be able to play a lot, but you can certainly have an effect. You can help them. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I think we see a lot of players now with the confidence and the mentality to, to go to Europe and play. Okay. So now I want to move into uh, Houston Dynamo. Well, first of all, as a new rebel supporter, I want to congratulate you because you have Tim Parker, probably one of the best defenders in the league. And I'm devastated, but I'm happy, Coach, you are able to appreciate him as much as uh, us, the fans did. So I wanted to ask you overall, like, 
the overall assessment of your first year as head coach for the Houston Dynamos, what were some things that you saw that you liked from the team? And what are some things that, what are some areas that you would like to work on for, uh, for next season? Yeah. I mean, so first of all, I'll say that, you know, you don't have to apologize for being a Red Bulls fan because I am too. So I'm a Red Bull supporter too. And I always will be because that's my club. That's the only club I played for. And I liked it that way. So, yeah, so I'm always, you know, I'm always rooting for them to do well. Obviously I coach here. So I, I'd like for us to win the championship and for them to come in second. But, you know, I, I am a supporter as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a, you know, there's a lot of things that I liked about about our team last year. You know, I thought we were we were a team with good technical ability. We were a team that that had potential to get goals and to go forward, which is what I like. But yet we were a team that was sort of built to to only defend and play on the counter. And that's kind of the opposite of the way I coach. Uh, I like for our teams to be foot forward, pressing high, you know, and defending only when we have to. So if you find our team defending, it's mostly going to be because the other team just has the ball and they're better than we are at that moment in the game, up and not necessarily because we want to. And so changing that mentality requires time. And sometimes it requires at first, you know, and I spoke with Caleb Porter about this, you know, and, and he said sometimes it requires time for players to adapt to what you want to do. And some players won't adapt to what you do. And then you have to change them and get different players. In the case of Tim Parker, for example, he comes from a club where he's used to high pressing. So him adapting to what we do should actually be quite simple. You know, I mean, additionally to what he brings on the field, you know, Tim is a leader of the field. You know, he imposes himself. He's accountable for what he does. He demands of his teammates. And, and those are all traits that we're looking for here. And so I think he, he makes us better on the field. And he will also make us make us better off the field. That's amazing. I do believe like uh, when a player has the ability to adapt to a new system uh, with a new coach in a new place, I think that's that's fantastic. And but I also wanted to ask you in regards to that, how can you make it, I guess, in a way, in simple terms, easier for the player to adapt to your uh, methodology, to your ideas of, of playing? soccer well i mean i you know we we start first from sort of from the beginning so we'd have to start with a presentation that requires that goes all the way down to the player profile so you know when you come here actually when we when we came here we took let's let's take a position for example you take an outside back like uh adam lundquist and you show him you know sort of what his player profile is and player profile that that has the demands within our 433 system So if you're left back in the 433 system, these are your requirements. This is what's expected of you in your in your position. These are the technical requirements, these are the tactical requirements on the field, and these are the physical requirements. You're required to do, you know, 12,000 meters a game. You're required to have, you know, 1,000 meters of high-speed running or whatever that is per position. So we try to provide the players a full package of information of what's required. Maybe I'm making the answer too complicated because I'm too much of a coach. Uh, but that's I'm getting to the root of what how we explain exactly how we play. So that's one player in one position. And that's all of the things that are required for that position. And then you go to every single position and you have every one of those. And now tactically, you got to bring that all together because now it's got to work. And then and now you show video tactically of the whole team. You have a style of play on under a 4-3-3. And these are our guidelines. 
This is what we do when we press all the way high. This is what we do in three quarter press. This is what we do when we're when we're just holding a defensive block and defending four five one, for example. Because sometimes, even if you're Real Madrid or Bayern, you know there are times in the game where you don't have the ball. Well, you have to know how to defend when you don't have the ball. And so and so we go through all those scenarios, and then and then we work on it on the field. So it's those those pieces. Then you start working on the field, and then you start working eleven v eleven. And and so not everything works perfect all the time. But the plan starts with the basic positional profile of the player, and then you build it all the way up. That's kind of how we work. No, that's amazing. And one of the things that came to my mind right now is Andres Cordero is a being sports reporter, and he talked about how a coach from Chile had come up with a team for the to the first division, and it took him at least uh, I think 40 practice sessions to 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 get the team together and 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 make them work how they how he wanted them to work. I want to ask you something in regards to that because at the beginning you saw that the Houston Dynamo still needed some time to get positive results. And as a coach, I wanted to ask you, what do you do uh, to recuperate the belief and the team spirit when the results are not going your way? Yeah, it's it's difficult because you you know as a coach you you always want to be sort of in the, in the middle of the euphoria, and whether that's because you're losing or you're winning. So you know when you're winning a lot of games in a row, you have to be reminding your players that hey you know not everything is great we got to keep learning you know and you're winning games winning games uh, you know we got to do this better we got to do that better when you're losing it's the opposite so now it's like guys let's not forget that we're doing this well we're getting more chances than every other team we have the ball more than every other team the fact that they just happened to score in the 91st minute it doesn't make us forget how the game was played so we had the ball you know like give you an example we played columbus and that was the best team in the league and we were their first shot on goal was the 81st minute when they played against us yet at that moment we were tied 1-1 and we had scored an own goal by the time they took their first shot on goal in the 81st minute the game was 1-1 And it was our own goal, and we had taken 14 or 15 shots already. And these are games that, you know, obviously we, you tie at home, a game you need to win, but you end with a tie. You have to be positive with the players because they did a good job. So it's always trying to stay in the middle. You know, if you're running high, the team's running high, you try to bring them down a little. And if you're running low, you try to bring them up a little. That's kind of how you go about it. Oh, that's wonderful. That's a great analysis. That's something that I haven't heard before. So that's 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 amazing to hear. One of the last things for me is that uh, I heard Brian McBride, before you got appointed to the Houston Dynamo, he talked about your professionalism, your uh, work ethic. And he said that you're someone who's going to change the culture in Houston. And I wanted to ask you, have you noticed um, any changes since your appointment uh, as a head coach for the team? Yeah, I think I think a lot. I mean, I'm trying to do what I can. And I don't want to take all the credit for all the good things that are happening in Houston, but we are changing a lot. You know, I think one of one of the negatives we had last year from the beginning was the fact that we I felt like mentally we weren't we weren't strong enough. I felt like when we got scored on, you know, the team was down. And I always feel like in the way I came here coaching was I don't really care if the other team scores because I always feel like my team's going to score more. And that's kind of like, all right, okay, they scored. Let's get the ball. Let's put it in midfield and let's keep playing because we're going to get some goals. And that wasn't the case. It felt like, oh, we got scored on, we're going to lose. That was sort of the mentality. So I think we started to change the mentality on the field and then off the field as well. I think, you know, this, this has become a, a really open club. You know, we have academy coaches that we speak with all the time. We're very familiar with the academy players. We attend, my full staff attends academy games regularly. We're very close with our with our second team, which is RGV last year. So last year, 
Uh, Gerson Echeverry was the head coach there. We spoke weekly about his team and our team and some of the things that were going wrong or right in both. Uh, so the culture now is that, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very inclusive amongst the whole club. And I have to say, you know, there's a, there's a ton of great people here in Houston already. It was easy to start changing things because, you know, I, I can tell you that from the, the, the coaching staff to the, you know, the players to the people that sell tickets in the stadium, everybody loves the Houston Dynamo. And I think that's, a, that's always a great place to start. And hey, Mr. Ramos, we're almost wrapping up here. One of my last few questions I had for you was, there's so much excitement for this upcoming 2021 season. Obviously, Austin FC is coming into the mix now, and we're excited to see what that rivalry will bring to Texas, you know, FC Dallas, Houston, and, and Austin. And a big shout out to Claudio Reina, our former NYCFC sporting director. But with that said, Mr. Ramos, what would define success for the upcoming 2021 season? Is it obviously, of course, improving from last year, making the playoffs? Or I think every every team has a definition of what success says for for a season well i mean uh, our our main goal is to try to be champions in the end that's the bottom line now how do we do, how do we achieve that goal is maybe a little bit different than lafc would maybe uh because maybe lafc has the type of roster that can go to try to win games every single week and end up in first place for for supporters shield in the end and still have the expectations to win I, I think for us, maybe it's a little bit different. I think we have to take advantage of our full roster. And, and our first goal in achieving the championship this year will be to get in the playoffs. So I think if we can get in the playoffs, MLS has proven over and over again that the team that goes into the playoffs at, at a good moment has the best shot to win. Not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be the best team. And so our plan is at the end of the year to hold the trophy. How we go about it is we got to get in the playoffs. So the, the goal number one would be for us to be a playoff team. 100%, as I expected. I, I know you're, you're a competitor. I knew you'd say that. So thank you so much for that, Mr. Ramos. Sorry, I have to say that. Here's the thing, and I'm not taking credit for this either, because obviously everybody can see that we have great players in U.S. soccer. But, you know, when I started coaching the U20 national team, we were barely qualifying to, to World Cups. You know, and I, and I sort of, if you talk to the players now, I, I eliminated the goal of us qualifying as, you know, as a goal. I, I felt like, no, our goal needs to be to be CONCACAF champions. I know we've never done that before, but that's our goal. And then we go to the World Cup and then we're going to try to win the World Cup. But we have to be CONCACAF champions, not just the 13th to qualify to, to, to the World Cup from CONCACAF. That's just not good enough. And so, you know, the last two years we were CONCACAF champions. And in the World Cup, I have to say, you know, the last World Cup was Serginho Dest and Conor De La Fuente and Tim Weah and Chris Gloucester and everybody else that you throw in there. We had as good a chance to win the World Cup as anyone. And I think that's a great place to be. We didn't win it. We were, you know, we fell in the quarterfinals again. But that happens to Brazil. It happens to Argentina. It happens to the best. So, but we had a chance just like anyone else. So the, for me, I thought that was the first time that we were as good as anybody. Especially to beating France, which is considered the, the main candidate for the for the cup. Right. I mean, there's no question that if you go player by player, maybe France was stronger at the time, right? I mean, they, you know, the value of their team was in the hundreds of millions, you know, and our, our players, people didn't know them yet. So, you know, at that point, yeah, it was, a, it was a big difference. But, that you know, the games are there to be won, and we had a good team. So, you know, it's not like we went to the France game and said, hey, guys, let's try to survive this. No, I mean, if you watch the France game, we went to press them high. And we pressed them high the whole game. And I remember having a conversation with Buba Keita, who plays at Columbus now, and saying to him, listen, Buba, if we get scored on because you're isolated against Diaby on the wing, you're a center back. And you get isolated 
and and he beats you wide because that's what happens. That's my fault. It's not your fault because I'm asking you to do this. But that's because I sent both outside backs forward at the same time. So we took a chance. So we gave up two goals, but we scored three. And that's what mattered. So that's kind of like, you know, <laughs> but we had the team to be able to take chances. And it worked out well, but it worked out well because the players are good players. Actually, and, and one thing that just I just want to ask you on that is that obviously you are an attacking-minded coach. How do you regulate the attacks uh, before having the players uh, feel exhausted in a 90-minute game? Well, because that's right there, what you just said. It's the perception that you're running more because you're attacking, and that's not the case. So okay. if, you're, if, you're press, if you're pressing high all the time, what you're trying to do is limit the game to half a field. So you're actually trying to run less. You run harder, but you run less. So that, But that exactly what you said, that's difficult to get in the player's mind because the player's mind thinking in general, okay, let's drop back and let's just wait, and then when we can, we attack. But actually, if you think about it, when you recover the ball, you now you're 80 yards away from goal. Whereas if you're pressing high, when you recover, you're right there. You can take a shot. That's kind of the perception. You don't you don't run anymore. Pressing, you don't run. There may be the perception that you run more, but you don't run anymore. You just run harder at the right times. That's all. At the right time. Beautiful. Love Thank it. Thank you, Mr. Ramos. And Mr. Ramos, our last question before we wrap up, and this kind of just goes back to the beginning from the intro. Uh, you've been around the MLS for a long time, and you know you've played against some legends. Just to name a few: Marco Echeverri, Mariso Sinfuegos, Jorge Campos, and Carlos Valderrama. We had to ask you before we go: What was one of your favorite rivals to go up against, or who gave you the hardest time during your Metro Stars days? I would have to say uh, Lionel Alvarez. Okay, Lionel Alvarez. If you remember, Lionel Alvarez was the the with the hair central midfielder for Colombia. Of course, you know, starter on the Colombian, one of the greatest Colombian teams ever. Uh, he was tough. Yeah, he he would hit me all the time. That was that was a tough ride. I would say that was the roughest, the, the roughest, you know, because you know, but Marco Echeverri really, we would never go up against each other. You know, it's sort of he was always killing us on one end, and I was trying to do the best I could on the <laughs> other end. You know, so and same with Valderrama. But Alvarez and I always, you know, we had battles. My last one for me, uh, Coach uh, Ramos. I wanted to ask you: 2026 uh, World Cup final, U.S versus Uruguay, who would you pick? Uh, you know, that's a tough one. That's, it, it's a tough one for me. But when I see, okay, I'm predicting what's going to happen in 2026. And what's going to happen in 2026, we're going to be in the final with a lot of the players I coached that I have really strong relationships with. And so I'm likely going to be rooting for those guys. That is amazing, Mr. Ramos. Go Team uh, USA. 100%. <laughs> Houston Dynamo was in such good hands with you, and we can't thank you enough for your time. And so much good things have come out of Houston. Uh, we've we've had Glenn Davis on our show and Brian Chang, a former Houston Dynamo player as well. And so much good stuff happening in Houston, and we can't thank you enough. All right. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Ramos. All right. See you guys. All right, guys. That was the interview with the one and only Mr. Todd Ramos. Christian. My boy, I always got to go to you, man. What you think of Tom Ramos? Oh, man, he gave some great coaching lessons out there. I mean, the guy is straightforward, but he's telling you like it is. It saddens me that he's probably, he's the one that valued Tim Parker the most rather than my own organization, which is the Rebels. And, it, it, you know, he has said before that he's someone that you can actually build a team uh, with and he's a leader and he's someone you can actually count on to get you championships. And it saddens me that another coach from another team has to say that and we don't see it. So kudos to, to him and the Houston Dynamo team. I think they're going to do great. And thank you so much for uh, uh, for your time, Mr. Tab Ramos. 
And all right, guys, we got to get out of here. Hugh, always good to have you back. I'll start off with, with you, man. All right. Yep. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Make sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Soccer Subs Podcast. We post daily updates there. Well, not da- well. yeah, actually, we do post daily updates there. We usually post clips of stuff, stuff you might want to check and listen to. If you like the podcast, follow us on Instagram. You'll find more stuff that you like. You'll find more analysis. You'll find more us. Oh, man. First episode as an official member. You know, yeah. thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You know what? I look forward to all these episodes coming up, okay? Uh, thank you guys for listening to another episode. Like uh, Eric said, I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy Hughes back and Ronnie, of course, the leader, man. Thank you so much for joining us and saying hello to everybody. Oh, uh, by the way, please listen to uh, Dear Football Podcast, The Last Podcast, The Linesman Podcast. Great people. I mean, we got a whole community that is just talking great football. So thank you guys for listening. Yeah, like Christian said, thank you guys for the support. We're loving the DMs, the fan engagement on our posts. Thank you guys for everyone that's hitting like giving us a comment we're going to keep trying to give you guys daily posts daily updates on analysis we love to hear from you guys uh definitely shoot us an email at soccer sus podcast at gmail or shoot us a dm at soccer sus podcast on instagram give us a follow give us a like uh thank you guys for the support episode 18 episode 19 coming up soon we're going to try to have a big guest for you guys i don't know if we could follow up to tab ramos the first ever mls player that's going to be hard hard to follow up on mr tab ramos thank you so much again for your time really excited to have interviewed you. We'll be back next week with another episode. And as for me, we're out. Have a good one.